Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I'm so glad you've chosen today to tune in to hear what God is speaking to our congregation, and I hope it speaks to you as well. At the first of the year, we started a series looking at the word God spoke to us as our foundation for the year, and that word was manifestation. Here, halfway through the year, we've decided to go back and look at that word. So here we are again, looking at the series, Manifestation. I hope you enjoy. God bless. One of the things that I believe that God calls us, when I say us, I mean this, this body, this people, is there's a singular word that I believe God gives us every year to stand on, to believe. It unites us together. The Bible talks about when the people of God come together in unity, he commands a blessing upon those people. And, and I don't know about you, but I want God to command a blessing. There's only two places that I know of. There may be more. I, 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 I've been known to be wrong, but uh, that I know of, there's only two places in the word of God that I have come across that God commands a blessing upon. One is a storehouse, and the idea is that we have a place in which we uh, store resource. And when we set something aside, you might call it in today's world a savings account that God commands a blessing on it. That's kind of cool, right? And, and then there's another place that he commands a blessing upon unity. And so I believe early on when we started establishing Word of Life Miami, that God said that we should have something that unites us, unifies us together, something that we can all believe together on an annual basis to further bring unity as a church. And so last year, the first year that we were really established as a church, God gave us this word, unprecedented. And he took us to the book of Isaiah, and he said that I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something that has not been done before. I'm going to do an unprecedented thing. And then as we were ending the year of 2018, rolling into 2019, I believe God gave us this word, manifestation. Now, that seems like a churchy word. It seems kind of like a scary word. And when I think of manifestation, I kind of tend to go to ghost tours of haunted mansions. And I, and I think of, of eerie things. And I, I think of extra world or extra, I don't know, I think of some pretty crazy things. And, and as I began to seek God, why would you give us such a non-normal word for the year? Um, I began to see some things unfold, and this word manifestation didn't mean that there was going to be a, a, a pre- well, for all, by all means, I want the presence of God in this place, but it didn't mean that there were going to be some weird phenomenon type things happening in this place. However, I'm all for whatever God wants to do in this place. But what I believe is he was going to begin to bring some things to pass in this body of believers that we had not yet seen. You see, we've been having faith for some things. And faith is just that putting yourself out there to believe God to do something that hasn't yet happened. And he said to me, I believe that he was going to bring to fulfillment some of those things that we've been dreaming for. And that's manifestation. And so I wrote down early on, and we began to share this going into 2019, and I thought I would bring it back out and remind us of some things that we were believing on, and then take us in for the next couple of weeks into some ideas, some things where God is going to and is manifesting himself in our lives, through our lives, and wants to do some really cool things 
in us. And so I wrote this down. This is the word I believe that God gave us for this year. And it says 2019, if many of you will recall me reading this early on this year, 2019 is going to be a year of manifestation, a year I demonstrate and perform in ways that require you to credit me with doing the impossible. Love it when we have to get out of the way and watch God do things that are beyond our capabilities. 2019 is a year where you will grow in my word and in hearing my voice. I love this, coming back seven months later, looking at these words and saying, yes, I've, I've been there. Yes, I see this begin to come about in my life. I, I can say that there are people in this room uh, that there would probably say, yes, I'm beginning to see this. I've been growing in his word. I've been hearing his voice in a more active way. I'm going to cause dry bones to come alive. That's a reference to the scriptures found in Ezekiel 37. Waters to part, looking at 2 Kings chapter 2. The sun to stand still, looking at the absolute impossible taking place, a reference in Joshua chapter 10. And walls to fall down, Joshua chapter 6. I specialize, God said, in the impossible. Love that. He specializes in the impossible. How many of you might say there's some impossible situations in my life and I need to see God specialize in those impossibilities right now? There's some impossible situations going on in front of me, before me. I need an intervention of God. Now would be a good time. God, please step in. And he says, I specialize in those circumstances. I love that I serve and love and worship a God who specializes in my impossible situations. And I love where grace steps in because this is where I've caused some of these impossible situations. And God says, but my grace steps in and does and fulfills those situations, even though you don't deserve it, even though you've made a mess of things, I come in and I clean it up. Anyway, you don't deserve me coming in and fixing it, but because I love you, because I'm Father, I will fix it anyway. I specialize in the impossible. I'm not going to simply hand this to you, but you are going to have to travail in prayer. You're just going to have to persevere in prayer and stand firm in faith. Know that I am and will do what I promise. I do this so as a demonstration to your community. God's going to do things in this small group of people. There's not many of us here yet, but I'm going to do this in a way that shows your community I'm going to do great things to this people. And he goes on, I will put my spirit, this is quoting scripture, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord, taken straight from Ezekiel 37. When you know that I am the Lord, you will discover a love for me and you will find my commandments a delight. Such a good reminder of where we are just a little over halfway into this year of manifestation. And then there were some things that I began to pray about and we began to pray about as a church that God would manifest some very specific things for us. One, and you've heard me say this over and over again, it's not like maybe I'm a little excited, but God would give us a worship leader. And y'all wouldn't have to listen to me stand up here and sing and hack through our worship sets. And God gave us Alana, who is just absolutely set right where she is supposed to be. And God is ushering us and bringing us into his presence through her giftings and her talents. And, and, and we love that. And God then is bringing us, I believe, very soon into a building of our own. Now, the building that we've been looking at is a no-go. I can't wait for God. To, it just means God's got something even better for us. You know, when we were looking at this building, um, it would work. 
I remember saying, you know, this will work. It's a good next step. But never once did I really feel like it was the perfect next step. And you know, there were, it would work. It was great for the kids. You know, we've got a hallway that we're putting our kids in right now, and it's tight, but they're in there, and they're learning, and they're experiencing great things for them. And eventually, we'll probably be able to expand into a bigger space. But, but we, we knew that we've got to get out of this place and give our kids a better opportunity. That room, that place seemed to be great, but it was going to confine us a little bit more for our corporate setting. And, and so... Anyway, that, that building does not have a working air conditioner once they powered it up, and there was mold all through the walls. We don't want to be in there with mold. Maybe, uh, anyway, we don't need that. And so I believe, though, that we're going to continue on this year believing the two things that God promised us, a worship leader and a building. I believe we're going to step into that this year. So we're, we don't see a building right now. That's what faith is. Faith is believing in what we cannot see. Amen? And so I, I thought it was important that we put that before you so that we continue to remind ourselves in unity what we're believing for, for God to manifest. Now, there might be some things that we individually need to believe God for in our families, in our personal lives, in, in our businesses, in, in, in our whatever we endeavor to do. There are some things that we need to be believing God to do that has not yet happened. And we learned just a couple of weeks ago that the opposite of faith, we've, we've often thought the opposite of faith is doubt. Well, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's certainty or manifestation. Think about that. Now, we need to be in that place where we're believing God for something we have not yet seen so we can step into it. So what are you believing God for that you are not seeing yet? Is it for a, a nicer... Now, listen, we can believe God for nicer places to live, new cars. Those are great things. But maybe it's greater revelation of who he is. Maybe you need to step into a greater understanding of his love for you. Maybe you need to realize for yourself what it is to have his grace fulfilled in your life in a greater proportion and a greater level. What is it that you're not experiencing now that you need to have faith for God to show you so you can step into that? Those are those things that we need to have faith for, and that's manifestation in our life. What does manifestation mean? Webster says it's the act, a process, or an instance of manifesting. I love it when we use the word in the definition. No, I don't. But anyway, instance of manifesting demanded some manifestation or repentance, something that manifests or is manifest. Great. Love that. Thanks for that help. It's a perceptible, outward, or visible expression, external manifestation. Um, I like this. It's a public demonstration of power and purpose. Wow. That's good. All right. That has nothing to do with the message, really, that I want to share today. It was just the intro. I want to talk today for just a few moments, if you'll allow me, about a a, a story in the Bible that I've read, looked at, thought was a pretty cool story, but never really quite understood its significance to me. And once I understand its significance for me, maybe I can help you understand its significance for you. I want to look at today what we call the transfiguration of Jesus. This is a great story because Jesus takes Peter and John and he, and he takes James with them, and he goes up, and he climbs a large mountain, and upon this mountain, he sets them over here, and he goes a little bit further, and Jesus has an exchange with Moses and Elijah, and his countenance is transformed. But instead of me just telling you about it, let's read it together. I would much rather look at what Scripture says than me try to just tell you about it. So we're going to look at Matthew's account. This is found in three of the four Gospels. So we've got three different perspectives, three different personalities of this, but we're going to look at Matthew's personality 
as read in this. Matthew chapter 17. You'll see all of this on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. And it says this. After six days, by the way, before I go any further than that, I want to address this. Because when you read this in the other Gospels, you'll see one that mentions eight days. Listen. There's not a contradiction here in Scripture, whether it's six days or eight days. It all depends on what day you start counting. Very simple. You can start here or you can start there. You can put it six days in the middle and have a Monday or a Tuesday. It, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter all. It just depends on what day you started counting. Let me just throw that in there. But after six days, it says, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. Now, this word transfigured, eventually I'm going to get to some great points to show you. But I've got to break some things down as I read this passage of scripture to you for greater understanding of what's going on. Because this word transfigured is another one of those words that maybe we need greater insight. What is going on? What does it mean to be transfigured? We've got to get a greater understanding of this to get a greater light of what's happening here in this passage of scripture. This idea here of this transfiguration of Jesus, his face, it says it shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. So there was absolutely some kind of a metamorphosis that happened here. You know what I'm trying to say here. And it's this, this thing like Moses going back to the book of Exodus. One of uh, one this scenario where he goes up to Sinai's mountain and he receives an impartation of glory. Uh, many of us might have read this in the Old Testament. Uh, his face, it shined so bright that he had to veil his face. This was a transfiguration of Moses. Now we read later in the book of Hebrews that Moses had to veil because that glory would later fade because of his distancing from that glory and that we have an access to the glory of God that should shine upon us that is a never fading glory, some kind of a transfiguration. I like the way that it was said by Perry Noble, a, a pastor of a church out in the south, and he would say, this, that we're not going to have you come up and respond to an altar call for salvation because the Bible, the Bible does say, by the way, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. He says, I'm not going to have you come up as an as a outward expression of your faith in Jesus Christ. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, people will automatically know that you've accepted him by the change in your life. So there is some form of a transfiguration that takes place in our lives when we step into the yes world of following Jesus. But anyway, this transfiguration of Jesus is also part of our destiny. Think about this. The same uh, Greek word used here that I've read about in Matthew chapter 3 is used twice also in the scripture for believers being transfigured by the renewing of their mind by the glory of Christ with us that will complete our transformation into his image. These two places we find in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let me read that to you. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then the other place that we see this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we've got this in verse 2. Jesus was being transformed before them and it does have some kind of a 
personal application to us. But he was, look at this, his face, it shone like the sun. I'm going to talk about that here in just a little bit when we start developing some of the observations that I get from this scripture. These are not observations. This is just bringing a little more understanding to what we're reading. And then verse 3, it says, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. We've got to understand in this scripture, Moses is is gone. He's, he's left this world thousands and thousands of years earlier. He is with God in heaven, and we can know the same thing. Elijah, he's gone too, but in this moment, they're brought back to earth to have some kind of an exchange with Jesus. It says he was talking with them. There's significance here because you have Moses. He represents the law. Moses was known for uh, going up Mount Sinai, having an encounter with God, and bringing down what we know as the Ten Commandments, and then further developing a greater uh, written code of law. This law was uh, put in place so that we would know that we're sinners. Why on earth would I want to know I'm a sinner? Well, if I didn't know I was a sinner, I wouldn't know I needed a Savior. I, I don't need to know I'm a sinner so I feel bad about life. I need to know I'm a sinner so that I need to know Jesus. I need to know I need a Savior, simply put. And Elijah, he represents the prophets, and they together come together, culminating with Jesus. They come together with this encounter that without the law, I wouldn't know I need Jesus. Without the prophets saying, hey, there's one coming greater than I. There's one coming who is going to fulfill everything for you. We wouldn't have these both. So we've got this three. We've got the law, we've got the prophets, and then we've got the fulfillment of everything they represented all in this one exchange, all in this one encounter. What a powerful thing for these three Jewish boys, James, Peter, and and John. They're sitting here and they look out and they see the fulfillment of everything they've dreamed for come to light right in front of them. What a powerful thing it must have been for these Jewish boys. Moses was responsible, as I said, for giving us the law, showing we need a Savior. Elijah prophesied the coming Savior, and here they are. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it must be like? Now, Moses and Elijah, now they're here on earth, and they're seeing the fulfillment. They're seeing the absolute fulfillment, the presence of the Savior before them. And in verse 4, looking at this in Matthew chapter 17, And Peter said to Jesus, Look, it is good that we are here, if you wish, We will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Now, think about this, though, this shadow, this overshadowing that's taking place. It's not created from like light. You, You can see on the back wall. Do you see that I have a shadow on the back wall? This isn't that kind of an overshadowing. It's not created by light and sun, but the supernatural overshadowing of God's power. The Greek word here is Episkiazo. There's my great word, my great pronunciation for the day. It is exclusively, check this out, this overshadowing, it's exclusively used for the power of the Almighty God. In this moment, in this light of what's going on, the very presence, the power of the Almighty God shows up. And these disciples have an exchange, an encounter with God Almighty. And a voice from the cloud said, I just can't imagine this audible moment exchange with God. It must have thundered so loudly. It must have been uh, earth shattering, maybe even terrifying. We'll read here, it was absolutely terrifying to them. It says, this voice in the midst of this overshadowing power of the Almighty God, the voice says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
with a very important set of three words that is a command that must be adhered to with such devotion and diligence. And he says, listen to him. And when the disciples heard this in verse 6, they fell on their faces. And the word here goes on, it says, and they were terrified. I you to hold on to that for just a minute. Because I'm going to paint a timeline for all of us in this room. That we might be in this place, but I'm going to give you good news that there's another place that we can stand outside of the terrifying fear of God. And verse 7 says, but Jesus came and he touched them. Everybody say, touched them. Saying, rise. And I love this. You you don't have to keep repeating me. I love this part. It says, rise and have no fear. This is the picture of salvation right here. This is the picture of what Jesus does for us. Because in this moment, in the very presence of God, we can either come to him terrified, or we can come to him as friends, sons and daughters and lovers. And without fear, enter into his presence. Oh, I can't wait to talk to you more about that. Verse 8 says, when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. They saw no one but Jesus only. There's significance there. too. There's so much significance in what we're reading here. Verse 9, and as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the man of God is raised. Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. The disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was not Elijah in the flesh, incarnate. He had the spirit of Elijah, the mantle, the anointing, the power of an Elijah upon him. He carried this pre-telling of the coming Messiah that Elijah had. And they took his life. And in this moment, Jesus prophesies his coming affliction, his coming doom, so to speak. That just as these men took John the Baptist's life, they were going to take Jesus' life, and I don't know that the disciples even heard what Jesus said in this moment. But I want to share with you for the next couple more minutes, if you would allow me. I've said that twice now. Thank you for allowing me those first few minutes. Thank you again for allowing me the next few minutes. I want to share with you five observations or encounters from the transfiguration of Jesus. So backing up, looking at verses 1 and 2, after six days, we looked at Jesus took with him, Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on the high mountain to by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. I want to share with you two observations from that passage of Scripture. First one is, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. One of the foundational truths, one of the doctrinal truths of the modern church today, <laughs> of this church, is we believe in a triune God. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, being Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. 
that they are all aspects of God. They are God in one. We don't believe in three separate gods. We believe in God in three expressions. And in this moment, we see a picture of Jesus being God. We see this picture through the light of Jesus because he became white as light. Revelation 21, 23 shows us a picture in the last days, which really is the beginning of eternity for all of us, is this establishment of what we call the new Jerusalem. It's what this earth is going to look like after all of the destruction. I'm not here to get into eschatological dissertation. Those are two really big words that really make my head hurt. I'm not here today to get into a a teaching on end times other than to say Revelation 21 tells us, gives us a picture of what perfect earth will look like after Jesus establishes his reign here on earth. After all of the sin, we don't have to, can you imagine what this place would be like if we didn't have to deal with sin and sickness and sorrow and pain and death and disappointment? and discouragement, and more D words that we might be able to come up with. Well, Revelation 21 gives us this picture. It talks about there will be no sorrow, there will be no pain. But later on in verse 23, listen to this description of God. And it says, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. Isn't that a cool picture of God? You know, we've got lights in this room, and I make the back wall as lighty, as pretty, or whatever as possible. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm a mood guy. I like the lights to change. I like when, when we do new songs or whatever, I think, what's, what color feels good for this song? I'm kind of a touchy-feely kind of guy. And uh, anyway, so we've got this idea of, of lights and the illumination, but can you imagine we turn all the lights out here? We begin to worship God, and the glory of God fills this place. And this word I've used before in the past, but it's a word that maybe some of you may not know, and uh, because sometimes I don't even know what the word is, but it's called Shekinah. It's the manifest presence of God. Can you imagine if the Shekinah of God were to fill this place? It becomes it's black in the room. Imagine there's no windows, and the glory of God fills this place so much that the room begins to illuminate by His glory. This is what we're seeing here. Jesus begins to radiate as light. This is a picture of God. Jesus is is becoming, he is being transfigured into his deity self. The Bible says that he left when he came to earth. The Bible talks about him stepping down from his deity, putting aside his Godhead and becoming fully Man, He was fully God, but yet fully man. And when he walked this earth for 33 years, he was completely man. Just as you and I deal with fleshly things, we deal with desires, we deal with sinful nature, we deal with pain and sorrow and all of that garbage that sneaks in. He dealt with those things, but never gave in to those things, which is why he was perfect. The Bible says he was a spotless, blemishless sacrifice that went on the cross on our behalf. He knew no sin, yet he became sin for us. He dealt with everything like you and I would deal with, only he was able to stay pure in all of it. But in this brief moment, this this very brief moment, the disciples looked up and they saw him become, they saw him transform or transfigure into his 
deity here on earth. And the only thing the authors here in the Gospels can say of what they saw of him in his deity is he shown as light. Isn't that cool? And then Revelation tells us what God looks like. He is light. And so much light that there's no need for the sun, S-U-N. There's no need for that. So we know that he is light. We see this picture of light of God also through an odd comparison when we look at the purpose originally of Lucifer. The original purpose before Satan decided in his own glory to fall, before he had his own rebellion, the purpose of Satan, we see this in the book of Ezekiel verse 20, or chapter 28, verse 13. When we get a picture of the purpose of what uh, Lucifer was intended for, we get a picture of the glory and majesty of God. Check this out in verse 13. It says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone thy covering. Just listen to this. That you were covered with every precious stone. Uh, all these words, sardis and topaz and diamond and beryl and onyx and jasper and sapphire and emerald and carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of other words. Think about this. We've listed all these precious stones that were adorning his body. What purpose would they serve if there was no glory to radiate off of them? How beautiful would your diamond ring be in pitch black? But I challenge you to say, how awesome would your precious stone be if it didn't have the most glorious light to reflect off of it? You see, the purpose of Satan in heaven before he fell, was only to reflect the glory of God. And so, what is the glory of God? It's light. And a light that we can't comprehend, a light that we've never seen, a light that only these three up to this point would know. But even Greek language, even their understanding couldn't pin it any other way than just to say it was white. See, Daniel and I this morning began to program these lights a little bit differently because I'm working with a different camera. And the old light system, the old colors, you wouldn't have noticed just with your naked eye standing here watching us. Daniel, you didn't notice the light changing up here at all. But the camera changed because my bald head went from to you could actually pick me up and see my complexion a little bit different on the camera. This isn't white light. This is a little bit of amber and a little bit of warm light and a little bit of cool light. That's a little bit of blues, a little bit of yellows, a little bit of oranges, right? They described it as white. Imagine such a radiant light that we cannot get past. We almost couldn't look at. The Bible talks about the glory of God as no one being able to see and live. I know I'm sticking on this, and you want to know what my other four points are, and you're thinking you're hungry, and oh my God, he's spending this much time on this one point. Are we ever going to get out of here today? I can assure you, I won't spend a whole lot of time 
moving beyond this, but I want you to get a picture of what Jesus is representing in the moment because he is demonstrating in this moment that he is not just man. Just as when he walked on the water and met his disciples to calm the storm, and at that moment in which it says he attempted to pass by them, it was going back to when Jesus or God walked past Moses up on Mount Sinai and he revealed his glory. What did he do? He revealed his light. Jesus is light. I'm the light of the world. His glory is light. One of the greatest observations we can get from the transfiguration story is Jesus is God. And if he's God, we need something very significant from him. We need his righteousness. And we find this from his garments. His clothes, they became white also. Revelation 3, verses 14 and 18. 14 through 18. This is a picture that the, uh, John in this goes through this whole scenario talking about, um, <coughs> excuse me, different churches and where they stand in, in, in their place in, with God. And he's talking to this church at Laodicea and he says, write to them. These words of the amen, the faithful true witness, the beginning of God's creation. In verse 15, he says, I know your works. At what moment would you freak out if God met you face to face? And he says, I know your works. And he goes on to say, you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. He says, but because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That word for spit is vomit. I will spew you out of my mouth. Just the other night, Evelyn asked me to get her water. I was putting her to bed, and I filled her cup with water. And I wasn't paying attention. I just rinsed it out and filled it up, took it in. All of a sudden, she says, Daddy, my water is warm. I was like, drink it anyway. She could not drink her lukewarm water. Now, Alana and I like a little bit of lukewarm water because we have to sing and preach and Cold water is not good on vocal cords. But how many of you just love lukewarm water? Be, don't be honest if you like it. Just lie to me for a minute. No. There's nothing refreshing about lukewarm water. Thank you. Thank you, Brooke. Then he goes on in here and he says, For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched. Pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, though, to buy from me. And he's going to describe something that we can only find from Jesus. Gold refined by the fire, so you may be rich. And check this out. White garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. You see... When we come into the presence of God on our own doing, he sees our filth, our shame, our nakedness, and our unworthiness. But when we clothe ourselves in the garment of his righteousness, he sees Jesus. He sees his grace. He sees his goodness. And we're able to enter into the presence of God. You see, what the disciples saw on that mount as they saw Jesus transfigured, they saw he is God, but they saw that he is righteous. And in that moment, they saw something 
later down the road after the crucifixion they would see was something that was being apportioned for them, making it possible for them to enter in to the presence of God. I'm so thankful that we get to enter into the presence of God and it's not on our doing because none of us is worthy. No, not one. We're not good. But he is good. And when Jesus, when God sees me, he sees Jesus. And then verse 3, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good that we are here? If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And here's the deal. We often get a glimpse at the glory of God, and we want to set up camp and hang out there. And that leads me to my next point. Number three, we often miss the point of what we've seen. We often want to hang out, set up camp. You see, the church is really good at lingering in the past. Setting the stage so that, hey, come to us and live where we've been. And they forget that there's a future with Christ. They forget that there's a place to go with what we've seen. You see, God reveals himself to us, not that we would hang out here, but that we would do something with it. His revelation is intended to make a change for tomorrow, not to hang out in today. His revelation is intended for me to do something with it for you, not just to hang on to it for me. You see, the problem with the church today is we're a bunch of selfish little babies holding on to things for ourselves. And in so doing, we've made it so that there's a world out there that wants nothing to do with what we have because we've been just a bunch of little turds. Am I right? Am I, am I saying stupid stuff up here? Listen, people don't want anything to do with what we have because what we have is hanging, in, hanging with old stuff and we've hoarded it and kept it to ourselves and no one wants to hang out in a hoarder's house. It's important to put two syllables in hoarder. No one wants to hang out in that other house either. You can laugh at that. No one wants to hang out in a hoarder's house. But if we would take the revelation of the goodness of God, we would take the understanding of the reality of who he is. If we would move in the revelation, the goodness and the love and the kindness and the openness of who he is, and we would take it and become outward with it and not just erect tents, but we would become vocal cords of the things of God then no longer would we be a hoarder's house. But we would be a welcome institution for the future of what God has for us. Amen? Let's move on. My wife was embarrassed by what I just said. It was awesome. We all were? It's all good. I'm glad you all love me, I hope. Number five, verse five. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. This is my next point. We can know our position is king, in his kingdom by our reaction to his voice. This is significant. Do you hear the Father's voice, but are full of fear and trembling? 
Or do you hear the voice of Jesus? Do you feel his touch? In this moment, God speaks in this thunderous voice. and We can either be terrified or we can receive the touch of Jesus. Jesus says, have no fear. See, that's that difference with wearing the garment of righteousness or doing it on our own. There's only one way to do it without fear. That's by saying yes to Jesus and all that he has for us. The Bible says, he who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The only way that could happen is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible says that he stretched his arms out and he died. Greater love has no man than he would lay his life down for a friend, calling us friends. So I ask you today, when you hear the voice of God, are you hearing it in fear as an outsider? Or are you hearing it in love as one of his own? I could spend more time talking about the significance of adoption into the family of God. I could talk about so many things that time will not permit. Or I can simply say this. Jesus came. He lived perfect. He took my sin to the cross. When he breathed his last breath, there was a veil, a large curtain that ripped from top to bottom that separated man from the very presence of God in the temple. And when that ripped, man could now enter into the presence of God because God now saw his son upon us. See, we have all searched. We've all been needing the presence of something in our lives. I would contend today to say we need the presence of God in our lives. We find that through Jesus. In verse 8, it says, And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And my last point, an encounter with God should bring the focus, should bring to focus the most important person in the room. His name is Jesus. We get hung up sometimes on how things should be. I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of an atmosphere junkie. But ultimately, when we come into this place, we should be having an encounter with God that brings our focus to Jesus. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life.
life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we can use your support. There's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church.